Happy Resurrection Sunday, everyone. Uh, we are so grateful to have you taking part in this service with us. And I just, I wish you could be here with me in this room so bad right now. <laughs> just so bad, for real. And it would be so wonderful to be able to celebrate. I can't wait till we can celebrate together again in person. But I am so happy to be able to be there with you and to be able to be part of this with you. So thanks for being part of this Easter service here at Calvary Church. And, you know, obviously <laughs> you hear these sort of introductions a lot. We're in uncertain times. It's this crazy season. All of this, we don't know what's happening. Unprecedented times. And it's true. And in the midst of all of it, we are constantly bombarded with messages of fear. And that's not even some sort of slam on media or anybody, but it's just true. It's how it is. If you watch TV or you read your news apps or you're on social media or even I try to listen to a sports podcast, but there's not a lot of sports right now. So they're talking about coronavirus and it's just true that we're constantly getting these messages of fear and that has sort of a, a weight and an effect on us as we consistently have this. And we then are consumed at times even and filled with our own fears. And I have my own fears in the midst of all of this. I think of members of my family that I care for. I don't want 
to get sick or to be this. My own father is on the older end. And dad, I, I care about what happens with you. You know, we really do. We have fears with this. And we think about people's jobs and employment. And I think about people in our church that we care about. And I think about people in our community or my own family. And we have fears about being able to provide or loss of income and all of that. Just all sorts of ways that fear begins to consume us and to be involved in, in our lives. But what I want you to understand, what I want you to get so clearly about the very first Easter, the Easter that we celebrate from 2,000 years ago when Jesus came to life, that very first Easter, the followers of Jesus, the disciples, all of them were consumed with fear right now. Right now, before they know what's going on, Jesus is dead. They are huddled in houses filled with fear. Even though the stone of the tomb was already rolled away. And that's what I want you to understand I want you to get this, that the stone of the tomb of Jesus Christ is already rolled away in the midst of our fears. And, and, and what you have, I don't know if you realize this, but the disciples, like even like right now, early on Easter Sunday morning, they were huddled in houses all scared of what was going to happen. They're huddled together, hiding out in houses. And I'm, <laughs> it's the most sort of relatable moment maybe for you when you think about it's not hard to get yourself there mentally or emotionally that we are all huddled in houses filled with fear, just like they were, but the stone was already rolled away. When we are in fear right now, the stone is already rolled away and it's still rolled away. Jesus is alive. I want you to understand that because it feels like we're in the midst of a really, really long bad day, right? Like, I mean, it feels like every day is just this long bad day, more bad news, more stuff going on. And I want to look into the story in John 20. And it's the story of the resurrection, but we get into this woman named Mary Magdalene. And she's had a hard life. We'll talk about that a little bit, but she's having a bad day right now. So if you have a Bible with you or your phone or wherever, turn to John 20. John 20, verse 1. And we're going to just read a couple little bits in John 20 with Mary Magdalene and what's going on on this bad day for her. And it starts here in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John who wrote this. And she said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So she arrives Jesus has died, he's been crucified, he's buried in this, in this tomb. She goes out to check on him and she, the, the stone is rolled away, but that wasn't exciting to her. That was scary to her. She thinks somebody's stolen the body. So she runs, she tells these guys, they come and look. But then if you look at verse, uh, verse 9, it says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. 
They saw the empty tomb, but they just ran back away to their own homes, still huddled in fear. Verse 11, but Mary, Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. I want to stop right there and not read the next part. But we stop there and we think about Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is having a bad day and she has had a rough life so far. Okay, there's not a ton we know about her, but what we do know about when she enters the scene, when she enters the picture is in Luke 8 and it says that Jesus heals her and delivers her because she was plagued by seven demons. Now, I don't know exactly what that looked like in her life, like how that was making her life bad, but that's not the beginning of a good day. When you think about uh, someone plagued by seven demons, that's not what you're thinking of a great life. She's in, struggling. Now, church tradition tells us that she was possibly the woman that uh, was called a sinner, maybe a prostitute or adulterous woman who came and, and was weeping and washed Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears. Mary Magdalene had a rough life, but it says that Jesus healed her. Jesus delivered her. And she came out of that then with purpose and meaning and hope, and she's following Jesus. But then Jesus dies and she thinks that everything that she'd been doing, everything that her life had been about, all the way that her life had, had turned around from this plague by seven demons to now this purpose, she's part of Jesus's core team of followers. And now he's just dead. And she wonders like, was all this just for nothing? He's just dead? What's happening here? And then she approaches this scene in John 20, not getting it, not understanding why, she comes to the tomb and sees it empty and she just begins to weep. And then she sees these two guys in white sitting inside the tomb and they ask her, why are you weeping? And she's just weeping and saying, Look, what do you mean why am I weeping? Everything's going wrong. They've, they've stolen his body. That's what she think is, thinks has happened. And then she turns around and there's another guy over here that she thinks is the gardener. And he says, woman, why are you weeping? And she's sitting there thinking, why are all these men asking me why I'm crying? Can't people just like let me cry? And she just weeps like, how can you ask this question? Of course I'm weeping. Everything is falling apart. Everything my life has been about is just crumbling before me. How could you ask me, why am I weeping? And then Jesus says her name, Mary. And everything changes. In the midst of that shattering chaos, 
she looks up and she knows who it is. She knows it's him. She knows that Jesus is alive. As he says her name to her, Mary, she hears it. And she knows in the midst of this moment that everything is going to be okay. All is not lost. I want you to hear Jesus saying your name to you in the midst of a moment. It's one of our worst of days where we just think all is lost. And he says to you, he says your name to you, Mary. And we look into his eyes and know that he's there. We know that he's alive and everything is okay. I want you to hear a story of a woman in our church. Her name's Heather Riley. She had a rough life. She met Jesus and Jesus brought a lot of purpose and meaning, but it didn't get totally easy from there. Life was still hard, but Jesus was still there with her. I want you to hear her story now. My journey, I was born to young teen parents. Uh, my biological father didn't really have any part of my life, emotionally, physically, or financially. Uh, my mom did Mary, when I was an infant, she married a man that raised me as his own daughter. Uh, however, when I was about 12, I found out that he was addicted to cocaine and an alcoholic, which caused a lot of turmoil in our home, as you could imagine. Growing up in an addict alcoholic environment created a lot of toxic mindsets. I so desperately wanted a father that loved me that if I could just be perfect, um, that I would gain that love. And so I became a super overachiever. I was a ballerina who danced in New York City with the Joffrey Ballet Company, a beauty queen, a semi-finalist for Miss Teen USA, and then a strong academic student. However, by my early 20s, I then began to fill myself with the very things that I despised. I began to use alcohol and drugs and what was Casual use quickly became abuse for me. I was running an operation of distribution from Southern California to Colorado. I was manufacturing methamphetamine. And I don't say that to glorify it. I say it to allow you to understand the depths of the grip that addiction had on me. I ended up serving a one-year sentence for a drug conviction. And it was in that place that Jesus stepped into my life. And um, what I thought was the greatest hardship actually became the birthing place of my greatest victory. Some stranger came in, I can't tell you who he was, but he was willing to come in and bring the gospel and I heard it for the first time in a way that made sense to me that I had a God who loved me, a creator who knew me. I had always lived believing that I was an unplanned accident, a mistake, and then I read the words that said, he knew me before he formed me, that he planned the exact moment of my birth and how radical that was to me, that I had been living my whole life out of a lie that I believed and it had led me to a reality that I never belonged in. And yet we had this great God who met me in that space and came in and overshadowed all of those facts and circumstances. 
And so I gave my life to Christ, and He delivered me 100%, radically um, transformed me. I became voracious for the Word of God. I wanted to know who my God was, and um, I wanted to understand what His purpose was in my life. And so I finished my sentence, and I married, coming out of there, uh, married a wonderful man who decided to dedicate his life to Christ as well. We <clears throat> we were infertile. We had tried for seven years to have children, and, but we were blessed with an abandoned little girl. We got to raise her from the age of seven to 14. So for seven years, I had abundance and harvest. And I mean, Jesus said, I died to give you life and life abundantly to the full. And for seven years, it was to the full. So much so that we said, okay, let's not be the ones who forget to thank Christ. And so, we began to search out how we could serve God with our lives and apply to Wycliffe Bible Translators. We found out on a Friday night that we were accepted. Wycliffe had said yes to us, which was uh, utterly amazing <laughs> that God could use our lives in this way, broken people who had been restored by Christ, that we just were so hopeful in a mountaintop weekend. and. Then that Monday, a, a Newport Beach police officer was knocking on my front door saying he wanted to drive my daughter and I to Hoke Hospital, that my husband at 36 had suffered a massive heart attack. And when we arrived to Hoke, I, I learned that um, he didn't survive that. And um, those were hard times. And so on the mountaintop high, I suddenly was thrust into the valley low. And um, he passed away in, in August of 2004. Uh, shortly thereafter, I lost custody of that little girl that we had been raising for seven years in November. And by February, I had lost our home in Newport Beach. And so here I was. Uh, fortunately, a wonderful couple from the church invited me into their home. Uh, followed my call from God, continued to serve with Wycliffe and advancing the kingdom through Bible translation. It was there that I went on a trip to Israel and on the banks of the Jordan River formed a friendship with a pastor who reminded me that God had such a passion for me. He was pursuing me not to give up, not to lose hope. And two years later, he introduced me to my husband now and uh, so I'm married to a wonderful man, Kevin. So we have a wonderful daughter, Haley, and a son, Hunter, who are 12 and 11 now. And through the two years that I was in widowhood, I know that God was asking me three things. Do you still love me? Do you still trust me? And do you still want to serve me? And those things were easy to say yes to when my life was full. My answers were still yes. He never left me. He never forsaken me. And I think that in the scriptures, it's so clear that it says, she rises while it is yet dark. And that is from Proverbs. And my thing is maybe it's not a time of the day. Maybe we rise while it is yet dark in a season of our life and we overcome. It says a just man falls seven times, though he rises again. And how can we rise again when we come to those spaces in our life where we think it's the end, when we think it's over, when we think there's nothing left? Um, God has shown through my life over and over and over again that the story is never finished. He's the author and finisher of my faith. 
I got called to chaplaincy, which is what I do now. I get to sit with people um, who are finding themselves in a pit of despair and despondency. Someone asked me once, what is it exactly you do? And I said, I inspire resiliency. And so that's been my story is uh, one of resilience. I am his and that I have gone from rejected to accepted. I mean, the story of Heather is so incredible and it's so rich and real. It's real that God brings us hope. But God also says that in this world, you will have troubles, that he is with us and he has overcome the world. And I love to see how Heather now uses her experiences to be able to serve God as, this, as chaplain for people in really hard moments. I also love this one thing that she said in there. She quoted from Proverbs 31 that she rises while it's still dark. And, uh, not, and even as she said, not just time of day, but she rises while it's bleak. She rises while there's despair. She rises, and that is when she rises, she rises to meet Jesus. And what was so amazing, and we didn't, <laughs> I promise you, we didn't set this up with her story in this text. But when she said that, you look at John 20. John 20, verse 1, Mary Magdalene. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. While it was still dark. While it was early in the morning dark, but also while things were bleak, while things seemed hopeless, while she could not see the beauty of the resurrection, all she could see was the despair of the crucifixion. That's all she could see in that moment, Mary. And that's all that even Heather, maybe that's all she could see, but she still rises. But she doesn't rise to fix herself. She rises to find Jesus. Because when Mary arose, she found the one who rose from the dead and changed everything for everyone. I love that. It's so beautiful to see that. It's so beautiful to see that the entire time of Mary's bad day, the entire time of this horrible day, the stone was already rolled away, that Jesus was already alive. The entire time through our struggles, through Heather's life, through the things that we're going through, through this moment, all throughout that, the stone is already rolled away, that Jesus is alive. The war is won, the victory was accomplished. Mary just couldn't see it yet. Sometimes we can't just see it yet in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our, our own failures and our own shames. We can't see the way that Jesus has won the victory even for the stuff that we've been responsible for, the stuff we've done wrong. Jesus says, I have come and I have broken the chains of that bondage in your life through the power of the resurrection. You know, I, I think in this time we feel a little bit of this just sort of what now feeling. Like, what's next? What, what now? Like, and even what, what do I do now? And some of it's kind of light. Like, what do I do now that there's no sports 
<laughs> what do I do now that there's no sports to watch or there's none, none of these things that we sort of enjoy? What do I do now that I don't have this connection with people each day, but then it gets real, a little more real. What do I do now that there's no school for months? I never thought my kids love school as much as maybe they're realizing that they do now. <laughs> People love and miss school. But what now though, uh, even more real stuff, my retirement package is decimated or I've lost my job or I've lost a huge portion of my income or people that I know are sick or I'm afraid of all of that. And we are filled with fear though in the midst of knowing that there's hope we can't maybe see it or we forget the stones already rolled away. And in the midst of that fear, I ask just kind of what helps us to not be afraid right now? One thing I love about our church is that our church is very multi-generational. We have people of all different ages and we love, love the people of the older generation of our church. And uh, we're in the midst of this time right now where that older generation is called at risk. That older generation is vulnerable. And it's true that statistically that that's, they're more at risk. But, you know, there's this way that we have to remember that the older generations have lived through the hard times of life. And they've gained experience and gained wisdom and gained an understanding of who God is that I think that maybe many of those of us who are younger, and hopefully I can still claim that, but those of us who are younger have not been able to experience. King David in the Bible, in Psalm 37, 25, this is near the end of his life, he said, Once I was young and now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. That King David recognized that throughout his life he has seen God's hand in his life. That God never abandoned him. That God's presence was never far when he was young and he was battling giants to when he was old and his family was really struggling and falling apart, that he says that God has never abandoned me. And so we asked some of these vulnerable people in our church, what helps them to not be afraid right now? Let's listen to their answers here. When I consider a whole lifetime where the Lord has taken care of me and my family and given me provisions and thick and thin and provided so many blessings, how can I not trust him in a situation like this? John 1, 3 says, all things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. To me, this means God knows what's going on. He's in control and he has his glory and his best interest in mind and our best interest in mind, no matter what the trial, whether it's COVID-19 or cancer or any of the other things that come our way, God has us in his hands. I go back to James chapter one and the Phillips translation says, when we do not know how to meet any particular trial, we have only to ask of God who gives generously to all of us. And we are just so blessed to have an unchanging God that is there and we can call on. When times get particularly hard, one of my go-to verses is Job 13, 15, where Job speaking to God declares, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Remembering Job's sublime 
trust in God. In the face of extreme calamity, always draws me back to the arms of Jesus. God has always been faithful in delivering and uh, supporting and comforting me in times of trials and testings. So with that record, looking back and seeing his tracks in my life, uh, I'm hopeful. My comfort I find in God's word, and particularly I love Isaiah 41.10 that tells me, fear not for I am with you. Do not look anxiously about, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. I will uphold you in my righteous right hand. And when I think about that, I think that's where I want to be. Faithfulness is part of God's unchangeable nature. That's a source of hope for everyone. All he requires of us is faith that the size of a mustard seed, he will do the rest. I've really found a lot of comfort in the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness because he's my hope for today and my strength for tomorrow. And I get a lot of peace through that. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. And I trust in him. So good, so good. And I hope that that encourages you in the midst of that time of fear, in the midst of these struggles that we have. but. I love too how you hear, in the midst of fear, you hear the words of Scripture. And so may you learn from those who have more wisdom that they are turning to the wisdom of God's Word. And that we look to it and that's where we can find so much hope and so much peace from God's voice being spoken to us. Because there are all these fears of coronavirus and all of that and everything that comes with this time. But we as people also have some kind of existential fears. Like, why am I here on this earth? What is the point of all of this, this whole life? Why do I exist? What happens when I die? Some of these huge questions of existence in life that we can be plagued with, but what we have to know is the deep, deep answers to those questions and the, the deep, deep uh, voice that God speaks to us that all comes in Jesus, that all comes in the power of the resurrection, that he speaks to us of our purpose, not just salvation, not just forgiveness, but what we see in the life of Mary, what we saw in Heather's story is that we see how he gives meaning. We see how he gives purpose to all of life. And God restores all that was broken when sin entered the world. You see, the stone that was rolled away, the stone of that tomb that was rolled away represents everything that Jesus conquered through his death and resurrection. Because Jesus conquered the stone of sin and it was rolled away. Jesus conquered the stone of death and that stone was rolled away with victory and power over it. Jesus conquered the stone of failure, of loss, and even of all of this season of fear. He conquered all of that and the stone was rolled away that Jesus gives us hope and strength and power in the midst of that. Because you see, the promises of Jesus are true because he is alive. 
because the stone is rolled away. The promise of salvation is true because he's alive. The promise of us having eternal life forever with God is true because of the resurrection. And the promise of a life empowered by the Holy Spirit of God in deep meaning and purpose is true because the stone is rolled away. All of those promises of Jesus are still true now because of this day, because of the resurrection. And that's why we celebrate so much because all of it is dependent on this very moment. And all of it is true even on your worst of days. The stone was rolled away even now. Even now, Jesus is alive. So let's remember that. Let's hold on to that. Let's celebrate that. I love the very end of John 20. Okay, John 20 kind of says, here's why I wrote all of this. John 20 verse 30 and 31. It says, therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. I cannot wait to read the other books where that stuff's written in the new heaven and new earth someday when we've got all the time in the world to be able to see all those many signs and wonders. But then verse 31, it says, but these have been written so that, check that out. Okay, this is going to tell you why. These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. All of this stuff has been written. It's all been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah, and that by believing in him, you will have eternal life. You will have that. That's what we are called to. That's what we're doing. That's what all this is about. And uh, remembering back to while it's still dark, while it's still dark, we rise to find Jesus. And so we seek him out in the scriptures. We seek him out even now while it's still bleak, while it's still despair. We rise to find Jesus, the one who arose and changed everything. And so I want you to understand I want you to understand this entirety of the story. That you see men and women were created by God. And that, that lived this perfect uh, peace, shalom, wholeness. With God's presence dwelling among them and everything was right. And then they sinned. Human sin entered the world and broke that. It broke that peace, that wholeness, that shalom. That was broken and then then our, we were separated from God. And then so we went through this whole thing where people had this system, God had this system of sacrifices for them, that they would sacrifice the perfect lamb, that that blood would be shed to cover their sin for the year. And it would have to happen again and again and again. But then God sent his very son, Jesus and that's the story of Christmas where Jesus came into the world in human form and human flesh. And then he lived the perfect life that none of us are able to live. And so then when he willingly, God in the flesh, willingly went upon the cross and died upon that cross, 
He paid the price. He was that lamb that was sacrificed once and for all. And that when he paid that price, he paid it for you forever. And then he, he died and he was buried. But then on the third day, he rose again. And he rose again in victory and power over sin, over death. And that he says to us, that if we believe in him, we will have this free gift of eternal life. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the good news. That's the message of the gospel for you today. That's the message of Easter, Resurrection Sunday. And so I'd ask you today, how will you Respond. He says it's a free gift offered for you. Will you receive that gift today? I want to ask you here in a moment, wherever you're at, people are around you in your home, wherever, just everyone, close your eyes and don't be distracted by the things or the people around you. I believe that the Holy Spirit of God is speaking into your heart and your mind right now and tugging at you, at your heart to say yes to God. To say, yes, Lord, I believe that you are God. I believe that you died and rose again. I need you to forgive me of my sin. I will receive that free gift of salvation and commit to live for you forever. If you will pray that prayer with me, I would ask you to pray that with me right now. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you for living that perfect life. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that you died and you rose again. Please forgive me of my sins. I receive your free gift of salvation. Please fill me with your spirit and help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you if you said yes to Jesus today. It's normally we'd be together in this room and we'd be able to talk after the service or you could let someone know. Uh, we have some different ways of doing that today. If the first of those, if you, we'd love for you just to even text this, yes2020 to that 97000 to let us know. We'd love to know about that because it's hard to live this life for Jesus alone. And we want to walk that with you. So would you text that? Would you maybe even comment in the chat? Somebody would talk to you there, wherever you're at. If you could even fill out the card. The card is a way that you can respond. Uh, you can do that online. You can text to the card and, and fill that out and let us know. And we, we want to be able to walk alongside. I'd even just say, hey, just email me. Email me at ewakeling at calvarylife.org. Please email me personally. I'd love to be able to, to walk along that journey with you. Uh, you know, we, 
we are going to just continue to uh, have this worship service continue. And we'd love for you, if you haven't made that decision, but you're just watching or you're kind of checking all of this out, we'd love for you to fill out the card. It is a way that you can even check in for charity and that we will give to some of these organizations. We'd love for you to be able to take part in that. Um, and this is also the time in our service where we have an opportunity to give, to worship in giving. And I ask you in this that when we do this, we, we do this as an act of gratitude. We do this as an act of worship and an act of love towards our God. If you are a guest or if you are just kind of checking us out, I'm not going to even say don't give because if you have <laughs> gratitude and love and worship in your heart, you can give. But don't give unless it's out of that. That's the point. That's the point of giving. It's an act of worship to our God. And so I want to pray now as we give and as we continue to sing and worship our God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ways that you have worked today. We thank you for the power of your resurrection. That this changed everything. And it changed everything in my life. And I thank you for those that it changed everything for today. Lord, as we give to you, may we give to you with that heart of gratitude, that heart of worship, that heart of love for you. May it be nothing else. May it not be obligation or duty or guilt, but only out of love. And so we continue to worship you today as we give and as we all sing together. In Jesus' name, amen.